Thank you, Ed and choir. Um, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 2 will be there in just a moment. We're, we're looking in this series at, at a remarkable truth. It, it came to me as I was just meditating on how very much God loves us. And I'm not talking about just those of us who love Him. I'm talking about everyone in this whole world. How much God loves especially lost people. People who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Aren't you glad that God loves lost people? Because if He didn't, He would live with none of us, would He? That's right. That's how we became saved. Is because God loved lost people like you and I and drew us to Himself. And as I was contemplating that and reading over the Scriptures, I was amazed at how many, what I would call roadblocks, barricades, obstacles that God puts in the path of lost people to literally keep them out of hell, to encourage them and bring them to the cross and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. The message of the Bible is that God wants men and women, boys and girls, all over this world to come to a saving knowledge of Him through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. It is God's will... If you're here today, if you're listening, watching by media, it, let me tell you what God's will is for your life. God's will for your life is for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I can say that unapologetically because that's what the Bible says. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And look at this. Who wants all men to be saved, and come to a knowledge of the truth. What's God's will? There it is. Here's what God wants. This is His desire. This is His heartbeat. For all men and women to come to faith in Him through Jesus Christ. Now, the, the opposite of that, or, or the same truth put in a, in a different way, is found in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Just listen to this. God is long-suffering towards us, not willing, not willing, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So stated positively, stated negatively, the message of the Scripture is God wants all men and women, boys and girls everywhere, to come to faith in Him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray to that end. Father God, as we come before you today, we, we, we come also confessing the roadblocks that you've put before us to keep us out of hell, to bring us to faith in you. You, you, you loved us too much to just leave this to chance. Father, I find in your word that you will do everything supernaturally possible to bring us to faith in you, short of violating our freedom of choice. That's how much you love us. That's how much you love our friends and family. What incredible love. Unpack yet another roadblock for us today. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. The first message I brought to you was simply this. The Bible is a roadblock that God places in your path to keep you from your headlong rush into eternal damnation. We believe that. 
from the very first words to the very last words. The Bible is God's message saying, I love you and I do not want you to be lost. I want you to be saved. I want you to have heaven as your home. I want you to totally miss out on hell. That's the message of the scripture. And that, that's why it is so imperative for you and I, that we partner with God in sharing what the gospel is, in sharing our story. The Bible is literally that powerful roadblock. It's a warning. It sits there. Even if it's just sitting there on a desk, it sits there as a roadblock. If you don't believe me, talk to some of our Gideons. Let me ask, how many of you are Gideons? Will you raise your hand for a minute? If you're a Gideon, raise your hand. Okay, look around. You see some of these hands that are going up. We've got others and other services. Just ask them of the testimonies over and over again, how a Bible placed in a, a, a hotel room or in a hospital room at a time of crisis, someone looked at that book and they said, there's got to be hope in that book. They, they tell me there's something truth in this book and opened the Bible and found the love of God manifested before them and they came to faith in Christ. Just ask one of our Gideons, and he'll tell you story after story after story about that. It's, it's true in my life. My, my aunt gave me my first Bible, first one I ever owned. I don't have it in all of our moving in the Marine Corps. We moved about every 18 to 24 months. It's, it's gotten lost. What I brought with me was one that she bought me in 1966. Yes, that's right after Noah landed the ark, okay. And it is literally falling apart. This not-quite-genuine leather is uh, <laughs> peeling and falling on the floor right up here even as I speak. I'm almost afraid to open it uh, very much. But she gave, gave me this, and I was not saved at the time. And, you know, I, I, it, was, it was nice. It, it sat on a book stand in my bedroom. But, you know, when I was having rough times in my life, which was often, my eye would often gravitate towards that book. I didn't know anything in it. I didn't know anything about it. But I knew that my aunt believed in what was in this book. And she gave it to me that I might have hope. And she had hope that I would read it. The Bible stands with its message as a roadblock. God supernaturally saw to it that his words were placed in the heart of man, that they were recorded and we have a wonderful course that we teach uh, in, in uh, First Baptist University uh, called Welcome to the Bible. And we learn about how God miraculously, supernaturally just hovered over this word and kept it the way it is, truth without any mixture of error, right here before us here today. The Bible stands as that first roadblock. The second roadblock we looked at was the prayers of God's people. The prayers of God's people stand as, as a barricade, as a blockade, as an obstacle, trying to keep people from rushing headlong into eternity without Jesus Christ. Can you think of someone who prayed for you? Who prayed for you that you would be saved? Have you got somebody in mind? I do. Again, my precious aunt. She might have been the only one for a long time that prayed for me. But she consistently lifted me before heaven itself, agonizing before God that this boy come to faith 
in Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to tell you something. God is not going to keep you from going to hell if you're steadfast and determined to go there. But you're going to have to step over the prayers of godly men and women, your parents and your grandparents, your spouse. You're going to have to step over them prayers in order to make it into hell. Because they stand as a supernatural barricade, a supernatural roadblock to keep you from spending eternity separated from God. The prayers of the saints, powerful roadblocks. Today, I want to unpack yet another roadblock before you. And this is the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that in the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.21, in the wisdom of God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who would believe. Through the foolishness of preaching. Now listen, that doesn't say foolish preaching. I've heard a lot of foolish preaching. I've been guilty of some foolish preaching, okay? It's not foolish preaching. It's the foolishness of preaching. See, the power is not in the oratory. The power is not in the orator. The power is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not just the role of the clergy that does this. Every time a Sunday school teacher, every time a Bible school teacher, every time any person shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are standing in the role of the proclaimer, the preacher, the proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that this is a powerful roadblock. If you, if you don't believe it, I don't know how many times I've, I've found this experience in my own life. You start talking about the gospel to someone who doesn't want to hear. They are quite satisfied with their life just the way they are. Thank you very much. They don't want anybody to suggest to them that an attitude or action that they might have is somehow wrong. And you come to them and you try to plead with them from the scriptures. You try to share with them what the Bible says. And it's, it's like they're sticking their proverbial fingers in their ears and saying, no, 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 no. Don't preach to me. Anybody else ever heard that? Yeah. Don't preach to me. They don't want to hear. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want anybody to share anything with them that might in any way cramp their style or even suggest that they may be wrong, but what they're clinging on to truth might need to be questioned. But the Scripture tells us God chose through the foolishness of proclaiming the good news to save those who would believe. Not, not through great oratory, not through logic, not through debate, not even through good deeds, not even through wonderful benevolence that could be done. Those paved the way many times for people to be saved. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that is for that Word to be proclaimed, whether it's from a pulpit or a Sunday school classroom or sitting around a circle at a campfire with a bunch of kids, or right there in your den as you open your Bible and you share with your neighbor what God has done in your life and how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the preaching, the proclamation of the Word of God. And keep in mind, it's, it's not 
it's not all the whistles and bells that saves people. It's not all the, the right arguments. Uh, we spent years trying to, to train people to argue people into heaven. No. You and I, you and I can't argue somebody, convince somebody, coerce somebody to be saved. You know, Holy Spirit is the only one who can break through the heart of a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. That's, that's not our job. Our job is to proclaim the message. Speak the gospel. Tell people how it has transformed our lives. That's our job. That's the reality. I want you to know something, folks. Anybody who wants to can spend eternity in hell. Anybody who chooses to can refuse God in their lives. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on anybody. But in his incredible sovereignty, he will place roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in your path to keep you from rushing headlong into the abyss. You can't make it into hell without climbing over every sermon, every Sunday school lesson, every time somebody's tried to share the gospel with you. You've got to climb over every one of those in order to make it into hell. You can, but I want to tell you something. When death comes, you're going to hear a recording of every sermon, every witness, every Sunday school lesson that you have ever, ever been exposed to. You're going to hear every one of them replayed. You're going to hear every one of them resounding in your ears and you won't be able to cover up your ears and make it stop. Because you will know that you're in hell because you chose to. And you climbed over every preacher, every teacher, every loved one that shared the gospel. Yes, you can make it into hell. But God's going to set every roadblock possible in your path to keep you from it. And one of those is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you enter into the realm of the damned, part of the hell of hell is knowing you didn't have to be there. You could have chosen to escape hell and spend eternity in heaven. God gave you that choice. In Luke chapter 16, as Derek read earlier, Jesus told a story. I don't think it's a parable. I think it's a story about real life people that those in his audience knew exactly who he was talking about. They knew the rich man by name. They knew the beggar by name. And he was speaking to people who knew these folks, and they both died at about the same time. But that's all anybody could see was the fact that they both died. But Jesus said, let me tell you what happened. After, I want you to know something, folks. There is an after to death. Satan would like you to think, that you live while you live and then you die and you're done with it. Don't worry about all this. That's a lie right out of hell. There is an after to life. Jesus says, let me tell you what happened after 
they died. Lazarus was comforted in the bosom of Abraham. And across this broad gulf that no one could span, the rich man found himself in torment, in Hades, in hell. And he, the rich man could look across the gulf and he could see Lazarus being comforted in the bosom of Abraham. And he realized, I didn't have to be here. I could have been there. But it was my choice. I chose to trust in my riches and live life sumptuously all of my life. But he, he cried out, Father Abraham, still demeaning, he didn't ask Lazarus. Cried out, Father Abraham, have, have Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and come over this gulf and touch the tip of my tongue because I'm tormented. In this flame. And Abraham said, son, you, you don't understand. <laughs> First of all, you're there because you chose to be there. You're there because this is what you have deserved. This is what you have bought with your life. This is the wages of sin is death. But, but besides that, this gulf between us, there ain't no coming and going Nobody over there can get over here. Nobody over here wants to get over there. And then he, he spoke his second thing. He said, then Father Abraham, please. The King James Version says, I pray thee. I pray thee. I pray. If you can't come over here, send him back home. Send him to my father's house. Because I have five brothers that are destined to join me right here in hell. Send him to those five. And warn them, tell them not to come here. That's a prayer from hell. A prayer from hell. God sends somebody back home to my family to warn them, don't come here. Who in hell is praying for you this morning? Who in hell is praying for you this morning? Oh, God, they don't want to come here. They don't want to come here. Abraham had to respond to that. He, he said, look, they have Abraham, I mean, they have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Word of God. They have the Word of God. Let them listen to what the Scriptures teach. Let them listen to the Bible. Listen to the message of God's great love and his constant warning, don't come to hell. And the rich man poo-pooed the scriptures again. 
He didn't care nothing about him. He knew his brothers wouldn't know anything about him. So he said, no, Father Abraham, if somebody came back from the dead, surely they would believe. Can I tell you who that person is this morning? His name is Jesus Christ who came back from the dead. And the message he gives is the message of all of the Bible. God loves you too much to want you in hell. He wants you with him for all time and all eternity. You have to walk over the message of the Bible to make it into hell. You have to climb over the fence of the prayers of those who loved you to make it into hell. You've got to move over the chasm of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to get you into hell. God will let you go. But He don't want you to go. His desire is for you to be saved. Every gospel sermon, every gospel lesson is an answer to that prayer the rich man uttered from hell. This sermon this morning, the Sunday school lesson you'll hear in a few moments, the songs you have heard sung, the agonizing desire of your family members as they talked to you and begged you, these are supernatural God-given roadblocks that he's put out there. He loves you too much to see you burn eternally in damnation. How much does he love you? This is part of what we're going to be communicating to our children this week. You see, the, 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 the theme of our vacation Bible school this year, the theme is treasured. See it written right here? Treasured. Far too few of our children realize how deeply treasured they are. But our message this week is that you are treasured, you are valued, you are important. Let me tell you, dear friends here today, how treasured you are before God Almighty. God so treasured you that he gave his only begotten son. That if you believed in him, you would not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. That's how treasured you are. How do you know how valuable something is? How do, you, how do you estimate the value of something? Well, you can look it up in a book somewhere. Uh, my my uh, father-in-law uh, kept coins. And uh, old, old coins. He said, they'll be worth a fortune one day. Well, that ain't quite happened yet. But anyhow, you can look in the book. And the expert in the book can tell you, here's, here's how much it's worth. But, but you see in there that that silver dollar now is worth uh, $500. And so you take, take the letter of the book and you take that and you go over here to Ed and say, Ed, here, give me $500 for this. <laughs> Ed says, I'll give you a buck. You don't know the value of this there. Come on, $500 and this is yours. How much is that silver dollar worth? What is willing to pay for it? 
maybe $10. I'm working getting him up to 100 I don't know if I'll do that yet. But it's worth what he's willing to give up for it. God gave up his only begotten child because you were of that much value to him. And he did not want to see you damned, but blessed. Jesus died, but we're saved by his life. Paul tells us we're saved by his life. You see, God became a man in the baby of Jesus in Bethlehem. And he grew in wisdom, stature. And he understood his calling in life and what it was he was supposed to do. And at the age of about 30, he began his ministry of preaching and teaching repentance that the kingdom of God was come. For three years, he worked miracles. For three years, he gave signs. For three years, he confronted the religious of his day, trumpeting the same message of repentance and salvation and the kingdom of God. And then he was taken by cold-hearted killers. Put through the mockery of a trial. Was beaten. Was scourged. Crown of thorns placed upon his head. Led out of town to be crucified on an old Roman cross. After all these years, no more diabolical and painful manner of execution has come up into the mind of man. And there he hung between heaven and earth. And you know what his words were? Father, forgive them. And he laid his head aside. And he gave up his spirit and died. They took him down through tears, cradling him in the arms of his beloved mother. Because Sabbath was upon them, they had to hurry and put him in a borrowed tomb, which ended up being okay. He wasn't going to need it very long anyway. Put him in a borrowed tomb. Roll a stone in front of it. The Romans came to seal it with the great seal of Rome and guard it. But then on the third day, an angel came and flicked the stone away. Guards fell like dead men. He rolled the stone away not so Jesus could get out. He was already gone. But so men and women could come in. And they could look and see that the tomb was empty. The grave clothes was right there where he was all wrapped up in them. But all of a sudden, it was just like he evaporated and came through and there they were. And Mary Magdalene and the other women and Peter and John, they all came and they looked. And they all saw the same thing. And they were amazed. Did somebody steal the body? What had happened? But as they were gathered together, umbling and crying and praying and wondering what in the world was going on in the upper room, suddenly there he was in the midst of them. He said, it's me. 
Come here and, and, and see the holes in my hands. Thrust your, your hand into the spear slash in my side. I want you to know it's me and I'm alive. He rose from the dead, came back from the dead. Why? In dying on the cross, he takes the punishment for all of our sins upon himself. And in rising from the dead, he gives us his eternal life. What hinders you? I want you to know something. God wrote it all down in this book, and he put it in front of you as a stumbling block, as a roadblock, as a barrier, as a barricade to keep you from hell. I want you to know this message is for you this morning. He set up godly men and women, boy and girls, all around you to pray for you, to agonize over you. And even this morning, they're praying for you right now. That in this moment, in this moment, you would ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. There's even folks in hell related to you that say, oh, oh, Father Abraham, send somebody. Send somebody to tell them so they don't have to come to this place. I am that person in this moment. Other people have preceded me. Other people will come after me. But in this moment, I am the answer to that prayer, pleading with you in Jesus' name. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's time to decide. Bow your heads, please. Father, not only in this sanctuary, but through media all over the world, all over the world, through this internet, our, our webcasting reaches countries all over the world. So in China and in Gaza and in Ethiopia, people are hearing the plea in our prayers today. The gospel set forth. Holy Spirit, who's here today that you've been tugging at their heart? That you're opening their eyes to see these spiritual barriers that you're putting in their lives to keep them out of hell and to embrace them in your love. This morning, if anyone here or anyone watching would like for you to be their Savior and their Lord, Holy Spirit, will you just encourage them to pray with me right now? And just pray, dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I've been doing life my own way, but this morning, you've opened my eyes to my eternal destiny apart from you. God, I don't want to go to hell. I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, 
It was to give me your eternal life. So come into my heart right now. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Wash all of the filth out of my life. Come instead and fill me with your presence. I want you to be my, my king, my lord, my savior. I want to give my life to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, I know on the authority of your word that you've never refused that prayer. So whoever today in our sanctuary has joined me in this prayer, I'm going to pray in these next few moments, Holy Spirit, will you tug at their heart to come forward and allow Derek and Eric just a moment to speak with them, to celebrate with them the decision they've made, to encourage them, the scriptures, to welcome them into your family. Father, those at home that have prayed this morning with me, Will you encourage them to call us or text us or email us or let us know how we can contact them and share with them some encouragement and, and rejoice with them. Father, others may want to join our fellowship. Will you encourage them to come this morning as well? And some may want to just come to the altar to come and pray. To be a roadblock. To stand in the way of those we love. That they not rush headlong to destruction. Holy Spirit, this is your time. Lead as you will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.